What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I'm going to do everything that I can to get Joe Biden and Kamala Harris uh, elected. And we've got a lot of work to do between now and uh, November 3rd. We can never, ever underestimate Donald Trump. He's, he's got a real appetite for campaigning. We can't take anything for granted. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman, and with us today is Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Mayor, thanks for joining us. That's uh, my pleasure. Have you ever been to an actual, not virtual, Democratic National Convention? I have not. Um, years ago when the convention was here, um, I was a very new um, assistant uh, United States attorney, and so I didn't get the opportunity uh, to go. So I've never actually physically been to a convention. How different might this one had be be for you if it had been in person instead of virtual? I mean, I've been to a ton of these. Uh, they can be a lot of fun. There's a lot of socializing, a lot of opportunities for networking and parties and stuff. Do you ever think about what it would have been, what it might have been for you? Oh, yeah, I, I think about that uh, every day. And I actually re- remarked to uh, my wife the other day that um, – I'm already tired. Just imagine if it was actual, actually in person and uh, the amount of socializing and after hours, uh, I'll say conversation. Um, but, you know, I think <clears throat> under the circumstances, um, this is still uh, pretty inspiring. And I think people across the country are actually participating in a way uh, that they would not have otherwise if it had been in person. This week, you've turned up during a parade of virtual meetings to discuss various issues on the coronavirus and finance, on gay and lesbian issues, on the Black Caucus and the 100th anniversary of the amendment that gave you and I and all the rest of the women in America the right to vote, the Poverty Caucus and so on. What has been the highlight for you so far and how has this helped you build your profile and your fundraising network? Well, uh, for me, um, participating in these national conversations, first and foremost, is about making sure I'm going to do everything that I can to get Joe Biden and Kamala Harris uh, elected. And we've got a lot of work to do between now and uh, November 3rd. We can never, ever underestimate um, Donald Trump. He's, he's got a real appetite for campaigning. Um, and I keep reminding people, just look at what he did um, four years ago. Um, against a, a field of very experienced, very well-financed, 
uh, Republicans. And then obviously, while he lost the popular vote, um, was able to uh, win in the Electoral College. So we can't take anything for granted. So a lot of what I've been doing is uh, making sure that I get that message out and looking to my peers across the country um, uh, to, you know, exchange best practices, but also um, support um, during these uh, difficult times. As, as the chief advocate for the city of Chicago, I feel like raising my profile really is about raising uh, the city of Chicago's profile and making sure that we get our fair share of federal funding um, because we need it. What do you see as your role in the Democratic Party nationally? Well, that's an interesting question because obviously I'm new to uh, the politics side of uh, the Democratic Party. Um, but really what I've been focused on is strengthening my relationship with fellow mayors across the country and making sure that mayors' voices are heard uh, in policy and, and in politics. And you've raised your profile during the pandemic, particularly in your role in calling out the disproportionate impact on Blacks and Hispanics. Yes, and, and, and as they should be. Um, obviously, I'm an African-American uh, mayor. Uh, we've got a very diverse city, and COVID-19 has uh, disproportionately impacted the Black, Black and Latinx communities. And I think it's incumbent upon um, me, but also mayors um, and governors, when we see these disproportionate impacts, not only um, to point it out and highlight it, but to offer concrete solutions um, so that we can make sure that all communities are protected against the virus. Rahm Emanuel got in trouble playing too much national politics. People in Chicago are pretty parochial. They want their mayor paying attention to home. I remember him flying home early from the 2012 convention in Charlotte because there was a teacher strike going on in Chicago. Is there a danger in this for you? Um, no, because I never take my eye off the city. Everything I'm doing is about promoting the city of Chicago and making sure that, um, as I said, we get our fair share of federal resources, but also telling the Chicago story um, in our own voice, making sure that the narrative about our city um, is actually fact-based and really um, reflects the um, complexities and the beauty um, of our city. And, and no one can tell that story better than a Chicagoan, um, and, and I feel like I'm well-positioned to do that. But the Republican Party and President Trump and his press secretary have had a field day this week with the fact that there has been no mention at all during this convention about the rise in murders and shootings and also lootings in some of Chicago's uh, in Chicago and other major cities. Why hasn't that been mentioned? And is that a mistake? Well, I don't think that that's true at all. Um, it's a top of mind for for all of the mayors who are facing um, an increase in, in violence um, across our cities. I mean, this has been a very challenging time, not only in Chicago, but in New York and Baltimore, um, Atlanta, um, obviously Seattle and Portland. So I don't think that that's accurate, that that hasn't been part of the narrative. It, it absolutely has been. But the difference between us as Democrats and what Trump is trying to do is we don't vilify each other. We try to come together and find common solutions. And we don't hide from the realities of uh, life on the ground in our cities but we're doing it in a way that actually forges solutions and tries to bring people together. That is not what the president has ever done. From the time that he came down the escalators 
um, back in uh, 2015 to announce this candidacy. He has been about the vision, um, and we are about uh, finding common ground and unity. Just last week, we saw a second round of looting in Chicago that ransacked the downtown area, River North, the Gold Coast. You got an earful from business leaders and residents who were, you said, legitimately frightened. In that context, is it fortunate in a way that the convention is virtual so Democrats don't have to come downtown for dinner and see boarded up businesses? No, I mean, I, I don't think I don't think that's the story of our downtown area at all. Um, I've actually been. Uh, in the downtown area during the daytime and the nighttime virtually every day since. And what I'm seeing is what I've seen uh, for these last five months, a city that's incredibly resilient. Yes, people were concerned. Yes, they were fearful. Um, And we haven't um, allayed all of those concerns. But what I'm seeing every single day, whether it's during the daytime or at night, is people coming back to the city, restaurants, bars, other places of entertainment, and just people walking up and down and seeing the sights of our beautiful city. Mike Madigan is the elephant in the room. How fortunate is he that this whole thing is virtual? Why And why haven't you called for him to step down from his role as chairman of the state party and speaker? You didn't wait for an indictment to demand that Ed Burke give up the finance committee. Well, I think I've said... Uh, exactly that. Obviously, the allegations that were laid out in the um, deferred prosecution agreement uh, by the U.S. Attorney's Office were very troubling. And I've said what many have said, which is if they are true, then he should step aside. Um, but he has not been charged. Um, he has not. And, and at the time that um, Ed Burke, um, uh, that happened with Ed Burke, um, there are char- very specific charges um, pending against him. So I, I don't think it's. Uh, apples and oranges here, um, or sorry, I don't think it's apples and apples here, but the bottom line is um, this is a time where all of us have to step up and show leadership, and I think I have been very clear, as is the governor and a number of other um, state officials that were very troubled by the allegations, and if they are true, then he's got to step aside. Michelle Obama made a very powerful case against Donald Trump the other night. How would you characterize it? Well, it, it was powerful because it was um, so classically her. It wasn't shrill. It wasn't, she didn't raise her voice. But it was laser-like um, in laying out the case of why Donald Trump simply isn't up for the, for the, to the job. You know, the one thing that a spouse um, of an elected official gets is to be up close and personal. And clearly she saw that um, with eight years of, of being the first lady um, and being by Barack Obama's side is how difficult the job is, how tough it is on a day-to-day, even when the public may not see it. There are tough decisions that have to be made. You're constantly tested. And I think she has a perspective um, that is unique, and she laid it out in bold relief. And both her comments were searing, but also inspiring. Um, And it's something that, it's a speech that we're going to be talking about, I think, for quite a long time. It was truly a tremendous tremendous performance. Joe Biden has made some comments over the years and recently that have been viewed as insensitive to black voters. Most recently, he had a clear up comments about suggesting that African-American community is not diverse. Um, He said at one point, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. 
Even his running mate attacked him on the issue of busing. Uh, are you concerned at all about the enthusiasm level among black voters to, to run to the polls in the numbers that Biden needs to, to win this election? I'm not concerned um, in the slightest. Um, we're not looking for uh, a perfect candidate, uh, but we do have in Joe Biden somebody who is tried and tested, um, not only domestically, which is important, but also on the international stage. The level of damage that's been done in just in the last few years uh, is really going to take many, many years to repair. But having a credible leader, having an experienced leader, and fundamentally having someone who is empathetic and understands the lived experience of a range of different um, uh, uh, residents and Americans, um, and particularly of those in the black community, Joe Biden, I think, fits all of that. And I think he's only augmented um, his ability uh, to uh, be empathetic and understand the concerns and aspirations of the black community by selecting somebody like Kamala Harris, who also herself not only um, has lived as a black woman in this country, but also as a South Asian um, and, and a child of immigrants. I think this is an amazing ticket. The level of enthusiasm is off the charts. Um, it shows up not only um, in their fundraising, but by even in this virtual uh, convention, people are excited. There's a lot of buzz and we're ready to get to work and drive hard uh, through the close of the polls on November 3rd. But why does he seem to make these kinds of uh, racially insensitive remarks? What is it about him, do you think? Well, look, I, I, each of us has said things that um, we wish you could take back. And, um, you know, no one, none of us are perfect. But I think what you see over, uh, over time in the body of work, uh, the way in which he's laid out, I think, very thoughtful plans, the number of um, not only high-profile black elected officials and, and um, other community leaders. But to me, really the proof is in the pudding. You, you think about that young woman. who's a security guard um, at an office building in New York City. Right? He, could, he could have never paid attention to her, never had any connection with her. And yet he did. He took the time um, to, of this woman uh, who's probably, as she said, seen lots of famous people come and go, but he spent time to make that personal connection with her. That says a lot to me, right? You, you, you can tell a lot about a person by what they do when nobody else is looking. And what he did in making that connection with that young black woman, and as my wife said, um, a tough black woman with a tie. I loved her. I loved everything that she said. Um, and the fact that he made a connection with her really speaks volumes about who he is. President Trump has challenged Joe Biden to take a cognitive test. He likes to call him Sleepy Joe. He claims he doesn't know where he is half the time. He's all but called Joe Biden senile without saying it outright. What do you think of that? I just think it's another stunt from President Trump that um, we shouldn't really spend any time thinking about. He did the same thing to try to demoralize um, his Republican opponents during the primary season. He did the same thing. Uh, to demoralize, try to demoralize Hillary Clinton. He does, this is what he does. He, he try, he's a bully, and he tries to pick a fight on, on silly things to divert from the fact that he's a completely failed president. You told a panel on the coronavirus and the economy that you would have no choice but to consider layoffs and furloughs if you don't get replacement revenue from 
Washington. How much do you need? How much are you counting on? Well, look, I'm hoping that uh, we're, we're going to break this uh, partisan impasse in Washington, D.C. Um, and certainly we're looking for uh, multiple hundreds of millions of dollars, um, something along the lines of what uh, we would have received um, from uh, the HEROES Act that was passed. But, but fundamentally, it's not just about Chicago. It's about municipalities uh, and villages and small towns, big towns, big cities all across the country whose economies have been significantly negatively impacted as a result of the fallout of COVID-19. We all need help. We've all written letters. We've all made phone calls. Um, and we've all articulated what our needs are from to the federal government, our federal representatives. What we need for them to do is not take a recess, but get back to work in Washington, D.C. The Senate is letting all of us down. Uh, Republican leadership there uh, is seemingly turning um, a, a deaf ear uh, to the cries of people all over the country, uh, particularly those of mayors and village presidents and municipal leaders who are saying, just give us a fair shake. Give us what is due to us in our tax dollars, and we'll put it to work. We'll make sure that we use those revenues as a stimulus for our local economies. Um, and I hope that um, our cries, our pleas um, are going to be heard um, by the Republicans. The Democrats have stepped up and said, we're ready. We need Mitch O'Connell and his Republicans in the Senate um, to step up, get back to the bargaining table um, in an honest and good faith fashion and deliver for the American people. Donald Trump is still in a position to help or hurt Chicago. Do you regret the infamous begins with an F and ends with you comment? No, I don't. I said it in the context of him saying that he was going to bring out um, troops and shoot protesters. That is an outrageous statement. I can't believe that it was uttered by the president of the United States, let alone anybody uh, in public life. Um, what he said was absolutely 100 percent wrong, and it needed a strong response. I don't regret saying that one bit. Um, this is not a time when we blithely say that we're going to use federal uh, resources to shoot Americans. I mean, there are many things that are an all-time low for this guy. Before we go, is this election over? No president has ever been reelected. No politician even when there is this much hardship and this much uncertainty and people are this unhappy. I don't think we can take anything for granted. Um, the polls obviously show uh, the uh, Biden-Harris team with a comfortable lead nationally and a key battleground state. Donald Trump is going to fight and fight hard and we can't take anything for granted. Um, I wouldn't even pay attention to the polls, uh, particularly not when we're talking about um, what will be uh, an election like no other, where we're going to have limited opportunities for in-person voting. We're really going to be uh, limited in our ability to do the traditional um, get out the vote um, and voter uh, engagement. We've got to make sure that people are diligent, that they're not taking uh, their foot off the gas. This is going to be a fight down to the end. And we can't afford to say it's over. I think that there's a mountain of evidence as to why Donald Trump should be one and done. But we need to make sure that we get to our key voters, turn them out, get them to fill out mail-in ballots, show up in person, and do everything that they can to make sure that their network is also energized. And that is a responsibility, not just of the top of the ticket, but all of us um, as Democratic elected officials to make sure that we keep making the case uh, for the Biden-Harris team. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, 
Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you all next week. Thank you.